0: Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain
1: Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, uh, a podcast by two people who are sort of ashamed to have a podcast about Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. I am your host Adam Pranica, right. and with Wait, me I, is I, I uh, didn't know my ho- we were
0: going with uh, with our our true identities here.
1: Oh, I didn't. We. Uh, I guess I just sort of assumed we would use our real our yeah. real names. Well, is I that mean, not?
0: Like, I guess I guess we'd, we uh, we let's just live our shames here.
1: Uh, all right. <laughs> I'm Benjamin. I mean, we Harrison. could just edit that out. Let, yeah. Let's just edit that out. <laughs> We'll have to pick new names for episode two.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, that could be a that could be a trope of the show is that we have different identities <laughs> each time. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, let's start right now. Okay. Before we started recording, I was telling you that I uh, was just among some friends, and my wife said Ben has to go watch an episode of Star Trek so he can record a podcast about it later, and uh, I, I felt kind of embarrassed. I told her not to tell people that. <laughs> but, <laughs> Very specifically. Yeah, but I love Star Trek, and I guess I shouldn't be ashamed of it, but I sort of, I don't know, I guess I am a little bit. I think the
1: show, if anything, is going to reveal something very shameful about both of us, which I think <laughs> is just the useless forensic knowledge that we have about this show. Yeah. Uh, that we just have on tap. Right. And at the ready. Like, I uh, I can drop this knowledge pretty easy, and I haven't seen these episodes in years and years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's something that gives me personally great shame.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have memorized uh, some some Shakespeare plays, or Ben. I don't
1: have my wife's phone number memorized, <laughs> and I and I and I remember very clearly scenes from the first episode of this show that I haven't seen. And how old is this show? When was the first episode? Like I... twenty five years ago? Yeah,
0: I'm gonna guess. Uh, I'm gonna guess we're looking at an eighty six or an eighty seven as the. Uh... This is this this is something we probably should know. Yeah.
1: September 28th, 1987.
0: Nice. Yeah, and so I think the premise of our podcast at least so far is basically this. We are going to watch every single episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation in chronological order and I think we reserve the right to change the premise of the show at any at any point. Uh, at any point that suits us yeah but uh for now i think we're focused on the crown jewel in the series of star trek franchises star trek the next generation
1: i think i i just want to i want to piggyback on that comment just a little bit ben because i think we differ quite a bit in terms of our hope for this show's popularity (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i personally hope that no one listens (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's a <laughs> and
1: this and this is uh, this is basically got like the vanity press mm-hmm. of of podcasts. Yeah, right. We... Um, because I never want my wife to say something about me as shamefully as yours said about you yeah. in a mixed company.
0: Yeah, that was a uh, that was a real surprise. And uh... have you
1: ever felt less affection from her than in that moment?
0: You know, it was. I guess she kind <laughs> of knows who she married. She wasn't saying it unaffectionately. She was saying it in the sort of. In sort of the same way as a mom would make a comment about you transitioning <laughs> Ben's going to go from... play
1: with his model trains. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: in, in front of the cool kids that you don't want, knowing that you still have a model train in the basement.
1: Well, if anyone is still stuck around through this uh, <laughs> this now five-minute preamble, uh, you're free to leave. You're You're under no obligation to stick with us.
0: But, uh, but for those of you who, who are bought in, let's start talking about season one, episode one of Star Trek The Next Generation. This is becoming
1: a speech. You're the captain, sir.
0: You're entitled. I'm mm. entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows.
1: So I think when we talk about the story, I think one of the things I wanted to talk about with you was, was this story a good choice for the pilot episode of a science fiction series? i think it's super weird
0: it is super weird i have very strong feelings about the character of q uh which who who is prominently in parts of this story and it's kind of the only part of this story that is providing any danger or suspense yeah but i'm much more interested in the enterprise coming up against the ethical and moral quandaries of dealing with species that are equivalent technology or less technology than them but you know dealing with just kind of arbitrary deus ex machina god characters never kind of floats my boat sure <laughs> but it's also just like so silly like so the enterprise is supposed to go out to this far point station uh and they're sort of stopped mid space by this all-powerful Q entity, and they're transported to this 2079 courtroom, I guess? that It actually seems like kind of a fun place, Like, despite the fact that they're uh, meting out a very brutal form of justice. Uh, it seems like a lot of cosplaying going on.
1: Uh, some little people sprinkled in.
0: Yeah, yeah, and soldiers that are doing nose drugs to give them the will to kill, I guess. It's so weird, it's like the actions that they take in going to Farpoint are going to determine whether or not the human race is allowed to continue by this all-powerful being. But I never really connect with the idea that Q is trying to kill all humans. And I feel like in the the script sort of obfuscate whether it's all humans or just the Enterprise, because the Enterprise is sort of a stand-in for all humans. In in the context of this episode, they're being stopped from going like further than mankind has ever gone before because the Q has an axe to grind.
1: And stopped, mind you, by like a giant electrical pendleton blanket, like that that's <laughs> that's like flatly laid out in front of them? Like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make any sense why why an omnipotent alien would would build, trap, build a cyclone would fence in space <laughs> yeah exactly uh i don't get that they, yeah. that's one of many things that just doesn't make sense in this episode
0: right and q is like his main like personal attack is to freeze you which never happens again like q appears like a whole bunch more times in the in the franchise and I don't think he ever freezes anybody ever again. I think it's because
1: the costume department just ran out of fire extinguishers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. There's one pretty cool shot when he like magically thaws Tasha Yar back out and, and they do like a really solid crossfade between her being frozen and her being alive. Uh,
1: yeah, that was super well done, which, you know what, to me, only made the scene afterwards where uh, Patrick Stewart is, like half of his head is in a vignette yeah. Like, yeah. that only makes that scene not make sense at all from a technical standpoint. Like, they can pull off a a transition that dusts the snow off of Tasha Yar, but they can't have Patrick Stewart just framed up properly to deliver lines. And, and like, his scene is, like, over a minute long. They keep right. cutting back to him, and half of his head is dark.
0: One thing this uh, this scene does do is set up the... Uh, premise that Picard is a skilled uh, orator and uh, and lawyer essentially, and th- that comes back several times in the series where you know he's he's asked to argue in a court of law of one of one caliber or another, and he always does well. But basically, they convince the Q to to judge them not based on the actions of their forebears, but based on their actions in the coming mission
1: don't judge us by our past behavior but by our our future potential
0: and i should say i guess but by this time they've separated the saucer section from the star drive which uh is a scene that is set up as though it's going to be very uh suspenseful uh (laughs) you know when they ask data if it's if it can be done and he says it's not advisable but it's possible there's zero margin for error and then instead of playing suspenseful music and playing that that scene for suspense they just play the title theme and it's like really triumphant and completely non-suspenseful and they
1: play it all the way through yeah they played the entire <laughs> track
0: yeah can you think like, of
1: another example of this in any other show ever
0: no they feel triumphant that they've been able to make a model that comes apart in two pieces
1: also like does the risk seem worth it to you at any point like the reason they're doing this is to get the women and children away from the danger, but they're 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 doing this process for the very first time. Data has said that, that it's terrifically dangerous to do right. it this at this speed. They right. are killing can they possibly everyone say, in both parts of the ship.
0: Right, which is the worst choice. Like they don't have any <laughs> anything to base that decision on.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense
0: it makes it makes zero sense. We fade out uh, for a commercial break and we fade back up and uh Commander William Riker is uh wandering around Farpoint meeting the the guy who's in charge Zorn and then you know meeting a couple of the other characters who we haven't haven't met yet. And uh boy is he a handsome devil, William T. Riker.
1: I think uh he establishes right away that he's the sexual icon character of the show. Yeah, I think, you know, during many of his interactions, there's sort of an innuendo. Uh, the women look at him as he leaves in right. a very suggestive way. Uh, Absolutely. It's really in the forefront uh, in a in a fun way, I think. Yeah. I think if you're reading for the part of Commander Riker, I think you have to be excited about your potential uh, as an actor to maybe, uh, maybe have some makeout scenes.
0: Do some sweet makeouts. <laughs> have some 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 sweet MO sessions.
1: This is also the scene where Wesley tries to hook him up with his mom, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that that happens and uh and then uh we're introduced to Geordie LaForge um who runs up and says that he's urgently wanted on board the Enterprise. And uh this is when uh Riker first meets Captain Picard. They've never met before and uh man Picard big dogs the shit out of Riker <laughs> in, in this scene. Like, Riker comes on board the battle bridge of the Stardrive section, and Picard doesn't even turn and look at him for, like, the first couple of minutes of the scene. It is ridiculously uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Riker's first interaction with him is with the back of his bald head.
0: Yeah, he comes on board, and and Picard basically says, like, we're in some shit already, like, Go watch this monitor and get watch caught the, up. Watch
1: the previously on. Yeah, yeah, and of it, the it totally <laughs> just
0: like watches like the first half of the episode <laughs> on a TV while while like some other stuff is going on in the foreground. Like they just kind of like fade out, and he's like sitting back there watching TV. <laughs> oh man, it's so
1: awful. Yeah.
0: Incredible. So Riker gets caught up and he quickly agrees with the captain that that shit is popping off. And Picard kind of continues to big dog him and says, like, okay, the saucer section's back. Go ahead and uh, put us back together manually. And everybody's (laughs) terrified that that's going to go wrong. So they play the reconnecting of the two parts of the ship for like half of the suspense that they should have played the (laughs) separating part for.
1: And keep in mind, like the stakes are just as high. And right. for some reason, Picard big dogs him into doing it manually, whatever that means. Right. We soon find out that reconnecting the, the saucer and star drive section manually involves just telling O'Brien and Data uh, how fast to go and right. at what angle to approach. It's the most low stakes <laughs> uh, manual way of doing things ever. And when he does it successfully, everyone like turns around and looks at him admiringly like, oh my God, you're... Your instructions oh, were
0: so clear. he told us to turn three degrees to the left <laughs> like a pro, like a fucking pro,
1: oh man, like just further establishing like you know Picard might be big dogging him right now, but like we know who the swinging dick of the of the bridge crew is, and it's definitely Riker William T
0: right. there's then a scene where Picard and Riker uh, like meeting meeting up in the uh in the uh observation lounge. And Picard continues to, like, really be a shithead (laughs) to Riker uh, about this issue of the captain not going on away missions, which is basically just a scene to establish that, unlike the original series, the captain will not be constantly in needless harm. And then they also, like, plant that Picard hates children in this scene.
1: Ben, I've got to ask you something before we get off this scene that has just—I can't get it out of my head. (laughs) I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to support the statement, all right? Okay. Does Riker have any reason to believe that Picard is not a pedophile based on what he tells (laughs) him in that room? (laughs) Because the way he says it...
0: Starfleet has given me a ship of children aboard. Yes, sir. And I, uh, I don't feel comfortable with
1: children. And the way he acts towards Wesley when he finally goes in, into the bridge later like yeah. do you remember what he says
0: i knew your father Wesley.
1: it's a classic get in the van line it's hey boy i know your father yeah. it's okay I want to look around it's i mean it's pretty messed up and yeah. if you were interviewing for a job ben and like upon getting that job your your new the boss, boss is like stood oh yeah.
0: staring out the window saying i don't feel comfortable with children
1: how is that <laughs> not a a classic Uh, I'm a pedophile, but I don't want to tell you I'm a pedophile sort of move.
0: It is a full-blown classic I'm a pedophile move. And uh, boy, it's given me a lot to think about. The only two scenes that I think we really need to touch on before we get to sort of the climactic events are the scene where Riker finds Data in the holodeck, which is our first introduction to the idea that the Starship Enterprise has a magical uh, hologram room where you can be swept away to anywhere. And uh, Data is attempting to whistle Pop Goes the Weasel, I think.
1: That's a theme that Riker knows very well. Right. (laughs) (laughs) who's uh who's known for popping his weasel in a manual fashion
0: sure and uh and wesley crusher comes in and uh and slips into the drink and data pulls him out with his superhuman strength so we get a lot of uh a lot of like information about how data works because Riker doesn't quite buy that data's rank is real and uh and then they they all leave the holodeck together and uh Picard discovers that Wesley Crusher is getting his ship wet with the uh, holographic water that he absorbed.
1: Yeah, I mean, we realize Data's waterproof also. That's an important part of his character development, I think.
0: Yeah, he doesn't, he never uh, sheds a tear and then immediately rusts out. The special effects in the scene are great. The, The, you know, the holodeck door disappearing. It's probably like as well done as it's done in the entire series in this scene. Yeah. Does a great job of kind of planting the potential of this thing without blowing it in the first go.
1: It's almost the most fantastic thing about the show, like Yeah. As a kid when I was watching this, I was like I was just as enthralled by the idea of like being in a spaceship and going anywhere in the spaceship, but the Holodeck is almost more fantastic because you can go anywhere and be anyone. Yeah. Like why wouldn't you spend all your time in there? How did how did these people get anything done as long as there was a holodeck around?
0: Yeah. And this is another thing that's, like, sort of, this is, like, Riker's first experience of a holodeck. When when he first goes on, he's like, oh, yeah, like, I've read about this. And then, like, Data demonstrates that one of the walls is holographic and, like, throws a rock at it and it, and it fuzzes out. But then, like, I think by, like, season three, like, holodeck technology is, like, super mainstream. Like, everybody's just like over it you know it's not it's not it's not like it doesn't like wow anybody's pants off that it exists uh the way it does in this first episode which uh maybe a little bit of a a misstep on the part of the writers
1: yeah i just don't understand how 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 is that not the heroine of the 24th century like you're constantly trying to chase the dragon of the coolest (laughs) thing you could possibly imagine coming true in the holodeck
0: the hottest person that you could have totally consequence-free sex with.
1: I mean, there's no chance that Riker isn't immediately walking back into the holodeck and then creating a pig pile of, like, <laughs> 40 <laughs> alien women just, yeah. like, yeah, it's it's probably filthy and disgusting.
0: Yeah, so the other scene that we should just talk, touch on briefly is the cameo from DeForest Kelly as Bones McCoy, doctor of the enterprise from the original series in very scary old man makeup yeah uh, he
1: uh he didn't age very well
0: no The and and the only thing that's really worth mentioning here is that it's hilarious scene where he comments on how much data is exactly like a vulcan and then says well the ship has the right name you treat her like a lady and she'll always bring you home which which is just such a weird line
1: were you creeped out at McCoy calling Data "boy" like a plantation owner? Yeah, it was a he little. He calls him uh, "boy" like ten times.
0: I don't see no points on your ears, boy. Yeah, like a plantation owner, or just like a modern cop interacting with a person of color, uh, <laughs> just an upsetting yeah. like condescension <laughs> that didn't seem super warranted. Didn't seem uh,
1: in his character either.
0: Yeah. My, 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 my love is a Uh, I think that uh, we should probably just kind of get to the climax here, which is the whole uh, question that they've been asking at Farpoint Station is how did these aliens who all look homeless build this (laughs) fantastic paradise-like station? And then why are they still dressed like they're homeless when they're living in in the space station?
1: I didn't think they were homeless. I thought they were related to Billy Crystal's character in *The Princess Bride*.
0: Oh yeah, maybe maybe a bit of both, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> things just seem a little bit too good to be true, which is a great like Star Trek like conflict to have. Uh, so they they keep having to like have Q pop up on the viewer view screen of the Enterprise and go, it's, "Remember, it's- there are stakes." Blah blah blah. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, the
1: the one weird thing about Star Trek is when things become too gooder to be truer than <laughs> than their normal life,
0: which is already <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, fan- yeah. <laughs> uh, but they they discover that in fact the uh, the space station is one of a pair of huge spacefaring space jellyfishes, mm-hmm. and the uh, the the Bondi people of Deneb-4 have uh, en- essentially enslaved one of them to be a space station, which is a really crazy concept that they don't really explain m- much. Like, yeah, how, how, do they, how did how they bring this, it down to the surface? How do they brought this giant space jellyfish that's supposed to be 12 times the size of the Starship Enterprise and then coaxed it into being a space station instead of being a jellyfish somehow? especially
1: uh, given like old bandy town is like deadwood. Yeah. Wood. yeah. It, it's like sticks and wheelbarrows.
0: Yeah. And like, and like <laughs> everything is, everything is like stone, uh, construction with like heavy wooden doors. Like it's, it's a real weird, like halfway technologized, uh, like middle ages type of place. Like they, they go to see Zorn, the administrators, uh, in, in his office at one point, And they'll like, huge heavy wood doors with cast iron fittings like automatically swing open like any doors in star trek would and you're like how did they open like there <laughs> there's no technology in this whole fucking place and then, and then just suddenly the doors open
1: did you also get a kick out of the like the squid that they trapped and and turned into the station gets yeah. free this is another
0: then... like one of the like great special effects in this episode this it sort of shows up looking like the 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 one that's not imprisoned is uh shows up looking like a spaceship that might be like a lamp that you buy in the sharper image but then it <laughs> thought... flip flips over and it looks like a jellyfish and it's like a really good like transition effect that they that they pulled off <laughs> i uh, thought
1: the ship looked like simon <laughs> oh yeah which made should... <laughs> it hilarious when wharf goes like uh yeah we scan the ship and it looks like nothing that has ever been found before and it is the most plain jane it's it's like like like, by the book ufo drawing of what a ufo would look like ever (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: but so they realize that the what is keeping the other alien on the planet surface is that it doesn't have enough energy so they modify a phaser and fire the energy beam until it turns into a similar uh, but different color jellyfish and flies <laughs> off. And this is a moment where I really wish that they would show what was going on actually on the station because uh, when they fire that phaser, I just wanted to like cut to the surface with people like running and screaming like... Ah!
1: Yeah, when they open up the ark in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. basically everyone has to melt at that moment. Right. It's uh, it's the murder of millions of people. Yeah, which they uh, don't seem
0: to address the fact that people live there when <laughs> they do this. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and then and then uh, you know the two aliens meet, and Counselor Troy, the uh, half Beta Zoid ship's counselor, is there to tell us what emotions to feel about that.
1: Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, in the future, in the 24th century, that uh, one of these squid ships was pink and one of them was blue, mm-hmm. uh, just, so, just so the idiot viewer could understand. like <laughs> One's gender- a boy and one's a girl. <laughs> gender normative uh, alien species. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Although the one that was coming to the rescue was the pink one. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty advanced.
1: Right, and they, and they touch dongs to yeah. uh to say hello again
0: these early episodes do feature some of the dudes in dresses characters that you see in the background um yeah. there's like a a so kill short miniskirt uh starfleet uniform that troy is wearing prominently in the foreground but there's a couple of shots like uh of farpoint station where there'll be like three or four dudes walking around in miniskirt dresses and uh That's something that they abandoned pretty early on, but like these early episodes, I really relish that.
1: They really missed an opportunity to stick uh, Dr. McCoy in one of those during his tour of the new ship.
0: Yeah, yeah. A real shame. Could you
1: imagine his old balls dangling below the fringe of that thing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Darmok, Angelad, and Tanaga. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
1: A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much, it's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to Microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's Microdose.com and the code is SCARVES.
0: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till Max Drive.
0: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op, Um Well, Adam, this is the part of the show where we 'll talk about what the next episode is and what we can remember about it and also so uh one one power we have given ourselves in this series is that we each have a a single veto over an episode per season, so there's seven seasons of Star Trek the next generation there's some real turkeys in the uh in the list of episodes there's like a hundred and seventy something episodes of this show. <laughs> and uh we would probably kill ourselves if we had to watch the 14 worst episodes <laughs> among those so we each have a we each have a veto um and we'll discuss what the next episode is and whether either of us wants to invoke our invoke our veto I think so, that's uh, a great idea yeah so the next episode is the naked now um and it's uh let's see the enterprise encounters a research ship where the personnel are all found dead uh, mm. and they Quickly become infected with the same affliction—one that is similar to that suffered by the crew of James T. Kirk's USS Enterprise decades before. Yeah, I don't really remember this episode that well, based on that description, but um, I don't think I would invoke uh, my veto. Um, I think it's like a—it's a Roddenberry script, so that's kind of—that's always fun for me. How about you?
1: (laughs) Uh, I remember nothing about this episode based on your episode capsule but i i clicked forward in wikipedia to see how it it was received yeah and two sentences stick out to me the initial reaction of some fans was dismay and (laughs) and however you slice it up this episode is pretty awful
0: well that Uh. that to me means we definitely have to watch it
1: yeah i think I think in a lot of ways the bad episodes are going uh, to be more funny to us yeah. than the good ones.
0: Well, uh, I think that we should probably uh, call it a night for this episode. Uh, but if, <laughs> I've had a real fun time recording the uh, as poorly planned out and poorly thought out first episode of The, the Greatest Generation uh, as the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: Yeah, I think if there's one thing we learn from this, it's that uh, we can't promise it's going to get any better. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. We'll do our best, though.
1: Yeah, I think this is fun. Uh, I hope no one hears this ever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've been uh, I've been Ben Harrison.
1: All right, I've been Adam Pranica, and this has been The Greatest Generation, Season 1, Episode 1.
0: Live long and prosper.
1: I'm not going to say that.